I realize that, oh, kids, you guys can go. Sorry, we forgot to give you the exit, all right? See you later. See you later. I, I realize that Valentine's Day has passed. And so I'm, I'm sorry that I couldn't give you this earlier, but I honestly just learned it. I just heard the following heart-moving poetry that I'm going to share with you now. I would climb the highest mountain, swim the deepest ocean too. I would crawl the hottest desert. I'd do anything for you. I would leap the tallest building. I'd bear any trial or pain. There's no limit to my love. And I'll be over Friday night if it don't rain. I like that. Some of you have dated that person, right? My point is that if you have lived very long, you have experienced sometimes people say they are with you and then it rains and you find out. Jesus certainly knew that reality. So much of the time people were following him around, but they're following because they want to see him perform the next miracle. Sometimes they're following him around because they want the next meal. Sometimes they're following around because he truly is a remarkable teacher to be able to listen to. But once we arrive to Luke chapter 9, we have arrived at a part of Luke's story where he is going to give us the heart of what Jesus says is really required to follow him. So I'm really glad that you have chosen to be a part of this gathering today, whether you're seated at one of the campuses today or whether you're joining us online. Um, I'm grateful for the chance to be together, and I am excited about sharing with you from God's word today. Here's, here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I just want this to stay here for a little bit. You realize that every day, you and I are being discipled. We are. We're being discipled. Sometimes it's movies. Sometimes it's commercials. Sometimes it's emails. But hundreds of times a day, and I don't think that's an exaggeration, there is a message that we are being taught life is found in toys and comfort. That's where you find life. And so wealth is valuable because wealth buys us toys. Toys make us happy. And the more toys we have, the happier we become. That's the message. Comfort is valuable 
Therefore, we see suffering really as only something to be solved. But what's interesting to me is that if it requires pain in order to solve pain, we just don't want even any part of that because we would just rather be numb. That's our discipling. Comfort and toys are life. So when we turn to what Jesus actually says here, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. I think there could be a tendency for us to read, follow me and be miserable. Follow me and be miserable. Because in a society that values individualism, Oh man, we don't, we deny no one anything, right? You, you can just be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. We, we deny nothing. In a society that values comfort, we, we, we deny ourselves nothing. What I'm asking you to consider today is what Jesus says in this chapter. That if you actually deny yourself, you will find yourself. If you deny yourself, you will actually find life. And I am simply raising the question, what if? Like, what if that's actually true? What if what Jesus is saying is true? And I think it's worth considering because I don't know about you, but I got like, A pretty good many toys. But I think I'm going to need more if I'm really going to be happy from my toys. And I got this feeling that it's going to take more and it's going to take more. And so maybe it's worth considering if toys are what's required to make me happy. And that doesn't seem to be satisfying at some point. And and I don't know about you, but I mean, no, no matter how hard I try to isolate Something still always seems to nudge in on my comfort. Something of struggle always seems to be interrupting my comfort zone. So if all that's true, what if, what if the life we find on the other side of self-denial is different than the life we currently know? And what if it's not worse? What if it's actually better? In fact, what if it's like a hundred times more than we're actually giving up? Okay, so what does Jesus mean when he says, deny yourself? Well, the word actually means to refuse to associate with. That's what the word itself means. And so what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, if you want to follow me, you have to come to the point where you refuse to associate any longer with the person that you are. Let me put it in different language. You begin to mourn over your brokenness. You begin to mourn over your sinfulness because you recognize 
You, you recognize who, who you really are. You, you are humbled because you understand the bankruptcy of your heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? <laughs> one time, one time I actually preached that text at a baccalaureate service. You know what a baccalaureate service is? Like the graduates had come together. And I actually preached that text one time at a baccalaureate service. The tech, my message was, don't trust your heart. <laughs> yeah, that went over well. Because what's the message of our world? Just trust your heart. Just go with your heart. Just, just trust your heart. Whatever you want to be, whatever you want to do, just, just trust your heart. I'm just going off of God's word who says your heart is not really trustworthy. Your better option is to trust Jesus and all that. that that's where you want to follow. Would we actually consider that all the world's sorrow... All the world's grief, all the world's trials, all the world's troubles find their beginning when our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose self over God. That's when the trouble started. It takes God's spirit to give us eyes to see who we really are without Jesus. So that's not something that you and I are going to force on anybody else. It takes God giving us a glimpse of who we really are. But when he does, we realize the right thing, it is to deny ourselves. And what? Take up your cross daily. What does that mean? Well, cross, they think crucifixion. That's why Jesus said it. They they think the word crucifixion. What happens in, in crucifixion? Somebody is accused of something. They are then shamed for what they have done. They will suffer for what they've done, and they will even die for what they've done. And so what does, what does Jesus mean by this phrase, right? To, to take up your cross daily. It is a willingness, a willingness to be opposed a, a, a willingness to, to be shamed, a, a willingness to even suffer and even to die, all for allegiance to Jesus. That's what he means. In other words, to take up your cross means I treasure Jesus more than I treasure human approval. It means I treasure Jesus more than I treasure the honor of this world. It means I treasure Jesus more than I treasure comfort. It even means I treasure Jesus more than I treasure life itself. Wow. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and what? Follow me. In the, in the language that the Bible's written in the New Testament, the Greek, it's, it's, it's called a present imperative, which means it is ongoing action. So literally, we, we, would, we would say this, keep on following me. Every time Jesus says, follow me, it's that language, keep 
on following me, which again affirms something that we've been seeing almost every week. When we think about following Jesus, we almost think about this big event where we move people to emotion and we get them to either walk forward in a, in a church service or pray a prayer or sign a card. We think about this moment. But every time Jesus calls us to follow, his is a picture of this is a life that follows. You continue to follow him. When he invites somebody into his kingdom, he's inviting for the rest of life. So I want us to look at those two simple words. Follow me. And I want you to, to see that in this particular passage that we're dealing with today, we, we, we really focus on the follow part. That that's, tends to be where we look. But there's another part of this that I think is crucial. There's also a me. There's also a me. There is a person and there's a path. Sometimes we approach this passage and we so focus on the path, what we must go through, but I'm convinced that what we go through in this path is never going to make sense if we don't understand the person, Jesus, the one who is offering himself. When he's saying, follow me, he, he's offering himself to us to say, hey, I want this friendship. I, I, I want us to be connected. And in this connection, I am offering you a partnership in the greatest mission on the planet. Who is this? He's the creator of the universe. He is the king of all the kings who ever have or will be. He is the one who upholds all things by the power of his word. He's perfect in life. He's the one who is triumphant over, over death, over sin, over hell, over every demon that you will ever meet. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When he says, follow me, do you see who he is? And he says, come on, follow me. Not you go there. But Jesus is saying, I'm going this way. And I want you to join me, knowing I will be with you every step of the way. I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, Jesus is about to explain more to us about what it means to follow. But I think in order for us to really grasp what he's going to say, we need to understand a little more of the setting that these guys are in in Luke chapter 9. So check out verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. Now Luke is writing this later, right? He's looking back. Now he can see the whole picture. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And what we know now and what Luke knows when he wrote this, we're about a year away from a cross. And so when it says that Jesus 
His eyes are on Jerusalem. What what is that going to mean for him? It's going to mean a betrayal. It's going to mean falsely accused. It's going to mean mocking. It's going to mean beaten. It's going to mean a cross. He sets his eyes toward Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. So you got the picture. We're going toward Jerusalem. Samaria's on the way. It's where the stop needs to happen that night. He sends some people ahead to to make it ready. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. I think Jesus is very intentionally and Luke is very intentionally trying to get us to see the picture of what's going on here. If you follow Jesus, we got a mission. The mission we know is is to make disciples of all nations, but the path to be able to do that runs right through Jerusalem. It runs right through a cross. And here's the scene. If you join Jesus on this mission, sometimes you may not have a place to stay for the night. That's what they just experienced. You may be rejected by some. That's what they just experienced. And so Jesus is what? He's teaching and he's testing here. That's what he's doing. He's teaching and he's testing. He's teaching them that the road's going to be hard. And he's testing them to see, is he the greatest treasure of their lives? He's testing them in follow me. How much do you treasure me by telling them what the follow is going to cost. So let me, tell, let me show you the next part of this story. This gets fun. Verse 57. As they're walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, But the son of man has no place to lay his head. Hmm. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, here's where we need to start on this one. Don't make these hard words more difficult than they are. Jesus did not say here, that there will never be a time that you have a pillow or a bed or a roof or or a home. There will never be a time. He did not say that. He did not say that it is always wrong 
to attend your parents' funeral. He did not say that. He did not say that one battle with my fear, one battle with my doubt, totally disqualifies me from ever being fit to serve in the kingdom of God. He did not say that. So don't make it harder than it is. We need to understand these sayings. Maybe the best way I could frame it for you is to remember how Jesus deals with two men. We call him a rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Two different stories. Now, you, you remember that we call him the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he wants to know how you have eternal life and they have a big conversation about, about what it means to, to keep the commandments. But eventually, that conversation lands in Luke chapter 18. Jesus says to him, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, that's clear. Jesus says to this young ruler, look, it's going to cost you all your possessions. Then you can follow me. Okay? But then in the very next chapter, Luke chapter 19, Jesus encounters the wee little man, right? Zacchaeus climbs up in the sycamore tree, right? And you will remember Zacchaeus' words Go like this. Look, Lord, here and now I give all, uh, no, half. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And how did Jesus answer him? Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? I mean, we got one where Jesus says, you got you to give all your possessions in order to come follow me. And then the next guy says, hey, I'm going to give half my possessions. And, and Jesus says, you're in. What is the difference? This is the difference. The heart. The heart. And Jesus knows the heart. The point of these tough words that we read today are not to create laws that all disciples have to keep. Thou shalt give all your money. Thou shalt give half your money. Thou shalt not have a pillow. Thou shalt not attend a funeral. That's not the purpose. The purpose of what we're reading here and the big picture of what we're reading here is that Jesus knows what is competing for affection with him. And just so you know, he knows that for everyone. So for the rich young ruler, Jesus knew his heart and Jesus knew his biggest hang-up was his stuff. And until that man let go of his stuff, he was always going to put his security, his trust, everything was going to be in that. That's why Jesus said, you got to lay it down if you're going to follow me. When it came to Zacchaeus, Jesus read his heart. And, and he knew that Zacchaeus had let go of those things. And the signal that he had was he was, he was willing to give whatever he needed to give. 
Jesus knows what is competing for affection with him. And he knows that for every one of us. So when I say these are not laws, right? And, and there are some of us who may want to go, whew, whew, I'm glad Jesus ain't going to take my stuff. Right, I'm glad he's not going to take my stuff. Uh, and you know what? Let's just don't make a big deal out of this. Like, let's just don't act like our stuff is, means a lot to us. And that way Jesus will leave us alone and he won't. Stop it. He knows. He knows our idols. That's why he confronts us on those things. And what I'm begging you today is to let him do that. Because he is not taking from you. He doesn't need any of your stuff. He doesn't even need us. He's not taking from you. He is actually giving to you. He's saying, I'm, I'm telling you where life is found. So whatever else you are placing as a rival to him. Whatever else you are giving treasure value like Jesus, you do understand whatever else that thing is, it's gonna leave you eventually. If it's stuff, it's gonna wear out, it's gonna break. If it's people that, that eventually our time, right, is done, it's going to disappoint you. Whatever else you let be the rival to Jesus, it can't deliver on eternal joy. It can't. It's like our toys. You always got to buy more. You always got to buy more. You become a slave to that thing because you always got, they can't deliver. It can't deliver on joy. It can't deliver on peace. Whatever else you're placing as a rival, it is not as valuable as Jesus. That is what he is addressing. And so Jesus just addresses this in each of these three guys. Let's go back and look at it one more time. What he says, verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In, in Israel, foxes are, are prevalent and apparently were even more, we're told, um, at, at this day when Luke is writing. You remember the story of Samson? Remember in the Old Testament story of Samson? Right, and he ties the fox's tails together. Remember that and lights them on fire, Marissa? Right? I know, after you heard my baccalaureate story, you're like, I bet you would teach that to a PETA conference, wouldn't you? I know, that's fair. That, that's fair. That's fair. Foxes were prevalent and everybody knew that they had dens to live in, place to sleep. Birds, everybody knows birds have nests. Everybody knows that. And what Jesus is saying is something that's so common, even for the animals, I don't have that. And remember, they had just experienced this when they walked through Samaria and the Samaritans said, not welcome here. They had also experienced it in Gadara, which is where Jesus, right, cast the evil spirits out of the, out of the, the demoniac and, and they went into the pigs and over the cliff, remember that? And the people were upset because they lost their herd of pigs and so they're like, you're out of here. They experienced it in Nazareth. Jesus experienced it in Nazareth when he preached his first sermon there, remember? And they wanted to throw him off the cliff. It says though he just walked right through the middle of them. And when they get to Jerusalem, it will be the same story. 
So what's, what's he saying here? Well, think about your home. Think about your home. Most likely your home is a place of security. Some of you take that to a level that others of us perhaps don't, but your home, you think about a place of security. It's, it's from the outside world in a sense. It's a place of comfort. Man, especially for us now, where as long as you're willing to pay enough, you can make your house the most perfect temperature all year long. A place where you can be comfortable to sit on your furniture and sleep on a bed and you can cook food because there's a place for you to store food and the entertainment, man, that what you can watch and what you can hear. It's, it's a place of comfort. And it's a place of belonging. When you think about your home, you think about a place that you gather as a place to belong. And what Jesus is saying here is if you follow me, just telling you, you may not have that. And the question is, am I more valuable and more satisfying than those things? Because the truth that all of Scripture is driving us toward is that Jesus, he is my home. He is my home. He is my place of security. He is my place of true comfort. He is my place of enjoyment. He, he is my place of belonging. This, this relationship that I have with him, do you recognize how absolutely freeing that is? Because if I never have a home that is, that is built uh, right out of wood or brick or whatever you're going to build, if I never own a home, I still have the ultimate security and enjoyment and belonging, I find that in Jesus. If I never have doors to actually lock, if I, if I never have a bed to actually sleep in, and, and even to lose family, his promise is that nobody can ever separate me from his love. Nothing can ever separate me from this connection with him. He promises me peace beyond understanding. Your home can provide that level of comfort. Through him, I have a heavenly father, a family, and I belong to the household of God. Now and forever, Jesus is my home. Nothing is greater than him. He continues. Verse 60. Jesus says to the next man, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And I know when we, when we read this, and if we don't really do a little bit of study in here, man, it sounds pretty harsh. Um, I, I truly believe uh, when you study the background and you, you, you study um, the Middle East, this man is not saying that his um, father's body is laying at the house waiting to be buried. He's not. If the father had actually died, this man would not be there. He would be back there because the Jews did not wait to bury a body. They buried. It was an, it was an immediate burial. 
right? And we see the evidence of that when we read the stories throughout Scripture. You think of Lazarus and, and you think of Jesus, right? There was, there was immediate burial. I must bury my father is a familiar Middle Eastern statement that is still used even today. This is, this is what it means. It means I'm going to stay at home until he's gone so that I can bring his estate to its final point and so that I can receive my inheritance. That's what it means. So maybe the conversation, right, that whether the words got said or not, maybe it goes a little bit like this, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And I'm not a nosy person, but I just heard the conversation that you just had with the dude in front of me, and, and you said to him there was no place to lay your head. And so I'm thinking maybe, maybe the best scenario for me, right, since we got no prosperity gospel to lean on here, Right, The best scenario for me is, is maybe I just need to stick around, stay around home until I, I, I get what I have you know, been waiting for for all these years. Then I will be in a good position for, you know, if things don't work out. This guy, I think, is like the seed that we studied right before. This, this is the seed that falls among the thorns. And it says that they grow up together and the thorns, the weeds choke out the healthy plant. And Jesus, when he interpreted, he said, you know what the weeds are? You know what the thorns are? They are the, they are the cares of this world and it, they are the deceitfulness of wealth, of riches that choke the life away. All of scripture is pointing toward this truth. Jesus he is my treasure. He is my treasure that no amount of inheritance can touch. He is my treasure. He's better than everything else that we would ever consider to be valuable. Now, here's what I know. Just like the Spirit of God has to be working on our hearts and our minds in order for us to see who we really are, it is also true that God's spirit has to be the one to open the eyes of our hearts to, to see, to see that Jesus is more valuable than anything else we can come up with. Now, come on. The Bible says, right, to, to, to have a wife is, is, is something wonderful. The Bible literally says that, right? So some of you, you've experienced that. You, you have a spouse that you would say, man, this is fantastic, and the Bible says that our children are blessings for us. But let's be clear. They're not more valuable than Jesus. They're not. To the point that if Jesus really is my treasure, then a face-to-face -face meeting with him is not scary, which suddenly means if Jesus is my treasure, I'm not even afraid to die. Now we don't really, we don't really act like we're not afraid to die. In fact, I'm convinced that there are a lot of people who, who follow Jesus because they actually worship life and they're just looking for him to deliver. 
But to be in a place that I don't fear death is to be completely free of fear. If he is our treasure, then truly we have arrived at a scenario where we got nothing to lose. (laughs) We got nothing to lose. If he is our treasure, now I'm not talking about, right, what he can get us. Because I'm telling you, it is a deceptive game that our heart plays. And I know people who follow Jesus because they want a spouse. And Jesus can get them one. I know people who follow Jesus because they want him to get them heaven. And hell's not too good. They follow Jesus because they want to, him, him to make them respectful and successful. People follow Jesus all the time because of what he can get us. The question that we're raising here is, am I trying to use Jesus to get what I want or is he what I want? So the point of this conversation is not that it's never right to come home for a dad's funeral. That's not the point. The Bible affirms we are to love our families. He tells us as husbands, we are to lay down our lives for our wives. Right? We, we are to, to love and, 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 and to protect our children The apostles who follow Jesus, you do understand, they did not abandon their families. They didn't. The point is not that it's never right to come home for a dad's funeral. The point is it might not be right to do so. Because the issue may be that where you are, following Jesus has put you in a place that you are sharing the most life-changing, life-giving news in the whole world, and Jesus has put you in a scenario where you are in front of people whose eternities are at stake, and there might be some scenarios where the thing for you to do is to stay where you are on the mission that God's called you to rather than go home to a funeral. Because the question is, who's first, Jesus or family? And all throughout this reading, the conclusion is Jesus is absolute and all other allegiances are relative. You are going to face hundreds of decisions in your life that you cannot find a book and number verse to give you the answer to. The question that determines is, do you want Christ above all? And do you want to follow Jesus more than anything else? And that's how you answer those questions. Is he worth it? Yes, he is. He is more valuable than anything else. Then Jesus wraps it up this way. He wraps it up, verse 62, the third third person. Here's how Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You can't be on the mission of making Jesus' greatness known if you're always second-guessing the value of following him. 
You can't aim in two spots. You can't aim in two spots. It means that you're really not sure he's worth following. And the point I think that all of scripture is driving us toward is that Jesus is my single aim. He is. It doesn't mean that I don't love my family. It doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the, right, some of the things of life. It doesn't mean that all that is just thrown away. But it means that all of that falls under the umbrella that Jesus is my ultimate aim. And I don't want my heart divided. Because my heart divided will not display how great Jesus is. My heart divided will not tell you the truth of what a treasure Jesus really is. He's worth following even through Jerusalem to a cross because come on that's not bad news anymore that's actually the greatest news in the whole world that he loved us and gave himself for us Mm. if you follow him he says you will be saved (laughs) saved from myself Saved from my sin. Saved from a separation. Was never intended to be where my sin separates me from God. As I follow him, I am saved, but I am also given a mission that according to this text is more valuable than anything that this world would count as value. There is a path, but there's also a person. There is Jerusalem, but there's also Jesus. (laughs) There is suffering, but there is a greater sweetness. Hear the call today. Follow me. But today, um, I've got a couple of actions for you, right? So sometimes I end up, I call them questions because sometimes they are questions and then other times it feels more like action we need to take. So today I'm calling them, I'm calling them action. So I got a couple of actions that I, I want you um, to honestly write down and I want you to do something with it. So here's the first one, all right? Describe a time in the past when Jesus confronted you regarding something that competed for affection with him. And the result was that he truly proved to be home or treasure for you. All right? I'm asking you to write it down. Take a picture. Do something. Do something with what we've got today because we're talking about following Jesus and I'm going to give you time to write it down because I know that sometimes I don't give you time to write it down. All right, so I, I'm giving you time to write down the question. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, my own mom, who loves me dearly, said, son, sometimes you don't give us time to write down the questions that you want us to answer. And so I am implementing, love you, mom, I am implementing right now what it means to 
quickly listen and slowly speak so that you have time to write down the question. But if I'm going to do that, I want you to write it down. Take a picture of it, something. Describe a time in your past when Jesus confronted you regarding something that competed for affection with him. I don't know what that was. You know what that was. You know what that thing was that you raised to such a value that it it began to rival him, right? It it has the potential to be an idol. And because Jesus knows that stuff's going to disappoint you, that that stuff's going to let you down, that stuff's never going to deliver a joy and a peace that's going to last, he confronts. But when he confronted you, you came to see that that thing you were so afraid to let go of, man, he actually was your treasure. He actually was your home, okay? Got it? Got it? Here's the second one. Maybe presently, like today, you are facing some struggle because of your allegiance to Jesus. Therefore, you now have the opportunity to see Jesus prove he's greater. Here's the question. How can we pray for each other to that end? Come on. I believe that every week I address a significant number of people who really do want to follow Jesus. I'll get out of the way so you can write. And if you really do follow Jesus, there are going to be times you head through Samaria, you head through Gadara, you head through Nazareth, and what comes with allegiance to Jesus is sometimes, man, there's some struggle. Sometimes it's opposition. Sometimes people try to shame you. Sometimes they're suffering. The question is, how do we stand? And a part of how we stand is together. It's how God designed it. So how can we pray for each other to that end? Now, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to write an answer. Like, take some time today and write an answer. If following Jesus is the most valuable thing we ever do, it is worth your time to think about it and write an answer. On both of these, both of these points of action, I, I want you to write it down, and then I want you to share it with somebody. Could be in your household. And today needs to be one of those days where you remind each other when Jesus was truly home for you. Remind each other when Jesus was truly treasure for you. You didn't know how you were going to get through that thing. You didn't know how, but, but Jesus did what he said he would do. And maybe you just need to remind each other in your household of his faithfulness. Maybe you need to call somebody today. Look, I'm giving you permission. This is this, you, you just go, look, I know this is super weird, but my pastor is super weird and he's given me some homework and I, I feel guilty like I have to do it. So I'm calling you today. Can I just tell you a story? Blame me. But I bet you 
most every time the person on the other end of that conversation if God put them on your heart they need to hear a story of what it means to follow Jesus because I bet you they're wrestling with something I bet you they're facing some struggle if, if they're really lining up with Jesus I'd almost guarantee it write it down and share it I'm going to pray for us I, I'm going to say this if you're ready to begin following Jesus and I want to encourage you to do that today if if you're at one of the campuses today, those who lead you there, I know would be so honored today. You just ask them, hey, how do I begin this relationship with Jesus? If you're watching um, online, I want to encourage you to, uh, you can either respond if you're, if you're on the, uh, our, our, the website watching, you can respond there. You can ask a question. You can, you can email us. You can give us a call. I, I, I just, I, I want to encourage you to do something now that if, if you're hearing him call your heart, if you're here today, somebody will be right over there. Be honored. I'll be there. Be honored to tell you how to start to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing a song that is so on point today is scary. Let me pray and we'll sing it. God, I thank you for loving us. Enough to confront the counterfeits of our heart that lead us away from you. I thank you for loving us enough that you will confront us of those things that we tend to think are as valuable as you. But in turn, you give us this relationship. God, I, I am so grateful. God, for the realness, God, the genuineness, God, I, I'm grateful that I'm not asking if I have to check the right boxes anymore. <laughs> I just get to ask you, God, what do you want? Jesus, where do you want me? Jesus, what, what do you desire? I'm asking you to help us to do that together that we will want to declare your greatness. Now, I thank you for a truth to sing. <laughs> that if we have you, we have everything. And there is truly nothing else that compares. If we have you, then our soul is satisfied. So our prayer today, God, is give us a want to, to see every idol of our heart fall. God, may nothing be hidden. Because what we are about to sing, it is true. All that matters is to love you and to be loved by you. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen.